Welcome to the Through Thick and Thin podcast, a Megaloop Labs production. Imagine your significant other suffers a traumatic brain injury, a stroke, a spinal cord injury, or other medical diagnosis leaving them in peril. What would you do? Would your relationship survive? On this show, we will talk to couples facing this complex adversity, hear firsthand their struggles and triumphs, and how love conquers all. Hi, my name is Arlene Deal. My husband is David Deal, and we live near Helena, Montana. And I'm right here too, so. Yes. David and Arlene, welcome to the podcast Through Thick and Thin. How are things in Helena, Montana? It is fantastic. Nice weather. A little bit of wind, but about 70 degrees and clear as a bell. We had so much smoke that you couldn't see hardly a mile because of the smoke, but it's good now. Is that from the California wildfires? Well, we had some of our own, and then California said, they said, you're just kidding. Here's real smoke, and they sent us up a bunch that was so thick you couldn't hardly, you could. It was awful. You had to yeah. cut through it. Thank you, California. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> David, prior to your diagnosis, what was life like for you? Kind of a day in the life of David. Well, I was uh, about 25, and uh, I was... Uh, Managing a farm ranch, 35, 35. 35 excuse me, uh, managing a farm ranch, and uh, we had we have about 250 cows and 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 about um, 7,000 acres, and so I was pretty busy managing that day to day, and uh, it tied up all my. I had no extra time actually, <laughs> but uh, and then raising three kids, we had three, still have three kids, didn't get rid of any of them. So uh, that was, you know, I guess that's what we were doing. And how old were your children when you were diagnosed? Uh, 13, 11, and 9. Arlene, you and David were married at the time? Yes, married 17 years at that time. 17 years. How did you meet? Uh, we met in high school um, right at the end of our senior year. I decided he was going to be my next boyfriend, and so the rest is history. <laughs> David, does that sound accurate? It sounds too accurate. <laughs> I was a dumb country bumpkin, and she was a high class. <laughs> I, I was just a cheerleader. She was a cheerleader, and, <laughs> and I was nobody, and... He was a, no, he was a handsome farm boy I that see. was really um, mature beyond his years because he'd worked like a man for, you know, probably five years. So I was really attracted to his responsible attitude towards life. What an amazing love story. Now, fast forward 17 years, David. You were given a diagnosis. What happened? Uh, my back got... I had a lot of pain in my back, and 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 it was. Your feet started getting. Numb. My feet got numb, and the numbness just kept working up my legs slowly over the course of about four days, and I went from normal and reasonably athletic to unable to 
walk. Yeah, we went to the doctor and the doctor thought maybe he had ruptured a disc and so he made appointment to um, have an MRI the next day. And the next day when David woke up, he couldn't walk, he couldn't crawl, he couldn't empty his bladder. And so we had to call his dad to help us get him uh, into, the, ba into the, the front seat of our car. And we went about, we're about six miles away from hospital here in Helena. And he spent all day in the MRI and they couldn't find anything wrong. So they figured it must be uh, Guillain-Barre. That is really frightening. What happened after that? Well, they couldn't treat it in Helena. We had to go to Great Falls about 91 miles away where they, the Red Cross has a plasma exchange machine. And so they put him in, in ICU and over the course of the next 10 days, they uh, put him through plasma exchange where they take your plasma out and put back in albumin albumin, and that's supposed to, your body makes, you know, replaces the uh, plasma, and that's to uh, stop the anti, the, the uh, autoimmune response that you have with Guillain-Barre. So then uh, ended up being, David was in the hospital up there for six weeks. We fit in physical therapy and learned how to live um, as a para because we were told it would be temporary. Um, and so then we went home after six weeks and David went to physical therapy. And then about six months later, he got sick again, but this time it was um, dizziness, extreme dizziness. He threw up for about 10 days and started to lose some coordination in his hands. So at that point, they medevaced him to Salt Lake City where they said, oh, no, this isn't Guillain-Barre. You had something called transverse myelitis, which basically gave him a spinal cord injury about T11. They said it was a necrotizing myelitis. And so... Um, which means they, flesh eating. Yes, which, and then they said, you know, um, they hinted at MS. They didn't really come right out and say it, but they said this 20% of people who have transverse myelitis later develop MS. So that was in 1992. And so we went home, and David actually spent two and a half to three years trying to learn to walk with long leg braces. Did okay, but it was never very safe. And then in 98, he got sick again, and this time it was a very... Um, generalized uh, effect and um, went back up to Great Falls to the same neurologist who said we really, this probably is MS and so they treated it with um, uh, IV steroids. That is frightening. You were going through a living hell. First the misdiagnosis and by the way some of our Listeners don't know what that means, so if you wouldn't mind explaining, and then getting the real diagnosis. Guillain-Barre is an autoimmune attack on the peripheral nervous system. It attacks the myelin, but the, the peripheral system will regenerate, and so our expectation was in about six weeks he would start to improve and get, get feeling and get um, motor control back. And that never happened. Never, never happened. He never really improved. Wait and wait. 
Sit up, yeah. hurry up and wait. Yeah. Never happened. And before the diagnosis, what was the relationship like? We had a good relationship. Yeah, uh, we we um, we are born again Christians, greatly involved in our church. Um, we were homeschooling our kids. Um, we we had a good life. We part of a larger extended uh, farm and ranch family, and lots of support around. And um, yeah, life was good. The one caveat is David's brother in 1990 was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. And so that was pretty uh, devastating to our family. David, first the misdiagnosis of Guillain-Barre, and then being diagnosed, followed up by your brother getting ALS, which I'm very sorry to hear. How did all this strain affect your relationship with Arlene and your work? Well, with work, I just, we tried to get the kind of machines, the kind of equipment that I could operate without uh, my lower body. So we had... uh, Well, actually, we didn't start that till after we found that your paralysis was permanent. For that first, before they diagnosed the transverse myelitis, David just kind of focused on getting well. We had a great physical therapist that um, really worked him over, actually. Um, but you, it was, we came home and David basically learned how to live as a paraplegic. And who was the primary caregiver at the time? Was it you, Arlene, or did you have people coming in from the outside? It was Arlene. She is incorrect about that. I tried to incorporate several thing, ranch things as much as I could. Even when I was doing, uh, I did physical therapy three days a week. I was doing, I was, yeah. uh, the other four days uh, in a week, I was doing what I could on the ranch. Selling wheat, for sure. David was the, the he marketed the wheat here at the ranch. and was involved in the day-to-day. Decision. First, the misdiagnosis of Guillain-Barre, and you then going home to try to live life as normal as possible, with your work and your relationship with Arlene. And then in 1998, you received the actual diagnosis of transverse myelitis. What was life like then? Well, I had already settled with the fact that I may not be walking again, but knew I could be very valuable from the waist up. By then, my younger brother who had ALS passed away. He lasted about five years after that. And... And uh, my neurologist said, it's like two guys going down the highway. They each get in car wrecks, and they're brothers, and everybody's wondering what was going on. And he says, they're totally unrelated. He said, your brother's ALS diagnosis is totally unrelated to your MS, or your, uh, yeah, and the transverse myelitis that you experienced. He said, I don't know what happened there. I, I don't know. So... Uh, my my middle brother, I'm the oldest, uh, began to take over the day-to-day decisions of the farm, and and uh, we worked on that basis from there on. My dad uh, was moved. He was in town 
being a, a land developer, a dirty land developer. No, he was a clean one. <laughs> and But he decided he needed to come back to the farm because he had two sons that were incapacitated and he couldn't put it all on my the brother who was left. And so he came back and him and my, my dad and my brother took over all the work on the ranch. Your brother passing away and decisions being made outside your hands with the farm. Did that have any type of a strain on your relationship? Uh, it actually was better in that uh, if I had not been in the chair, I, I would my my girls, my especially my girls, or but my my kids were pretty athletic, and. Uh, I began to attend all their sports things, and and uh, if I had if I'd have been on the farm, I would have probably attended very few of those, if any. Uh, just too busy for it. So it it worked out for my kids better. For my wife, it's always we've always had a we're we're two A A type personalities, and we fight like cats and dogs. <laughs> but we've loved each other now for forty eight years, and. And we have never been apart, never. Never given up. Never given up. And, and early on, they said 85% of these couples that are like you end in divorce. And we said, well, that's, that's a fine statistic, but we're not gonna, we don't believe in it, and we're not going to live that way. And, and we have not since then. So we still like each other. She's still as cute as she was when <laughs> she was in high school, so. David and Arlene, this is incredible. First, you have a misdiagnosis. Then you find out that you actually have MS. And then your brother passes away. And yet the entire time, you're maintaining your positive nature and you're finding a silver lining with everything. Well, well, uh because we look for it. Um, the other thing, my, my own dad died from MS when I was, <clears throat> excuse me, 17. Yeah. And that was the thing that, that really, gosh, all of a sudden, i got to get a drink know. of water. You can talk yeah. about that. Yeah, her, her dad, uh, I never met her dad. She didn't want me to meet him. And so as a result, because I was just a new kid, new boyfriend. And so I never met him. And she was a regret, regrets that now. And then a couple of months later, her dad passed away. And one of the few people to actually pass away from MS and MS symptoms. Well, that was, he died when I was 17. And that was when we, David and I were just brand new relationships. So, but I knew what MS was. And so it was pretty frightening when, when they started talking MS. That is frightening. And yet on top of everything, you have yet another tragedy in your family, Arlene. The two of you have climbed mountains together. You've been through thick and thin. You've faced an incredible amount of adversity, and I admire your courage. Have you always been this positive as a couple? No, I would well, say it was. Yeah, I think, you know, in the beginning, we felt sorry for each other, and so that was kind of the glue that kept us together. Um, and then as life became, became more normal, we started to have more conflict. Um, you know, it's, it's, 
some, we lived in um, the old ranch house for 17 years while David was in the chair, and it, it was not very wheelchair uh, accessible. We made do for a long time before we built the house that we live in now. And so that presented some challenges. And um, David's right, we're both pretty intense. We talk about we have intense moments of fellowship. But really, the glue for us has been our faith and our church. And we have sought out help because we know that we need it. And, um, you know, most men won't do it, but David has, uh, has submitted to the, the fact that we need help. So we've had pastors counsel us. Um, even um, our neurologist, who is now retiring, has been like a pastor to us. And because um, we've told him, you know, this is, this is difficult. Life is hard. And when my dad had MS, he did not have the cognitive and emotional effect that David experiences. And I didn't know about it. And when things got tough, um, I started getting on Facebook and um, following a couple of Facebook groups. And I found that some of the things that David and I were experiencing uh, things that David struggled with were actually quite common with MS. And it's sort of like the dirty secret that nobody really talks about in the MS literature. They, they're very general about it, but it sounds like it's a pretty common theme uh, because years ago they really didn't think MS affected cognition or emotion. But clearly now... That's and that that has come and gone over the years, um, and so sometimes we hit a rough patch, and then we have to uh, get help or get serious. Um, we basically have decided we are going to stick to it. We we said for better or worse in sickness and health, and that's that's our full intention. <laughs> there are times when we're pre pretty uh, it's doubtful. It's worse than we thought. Yes, yeah, it's worse than we thought. But um, it, we don't entertain the, the notion of divorce. I won't say never, but to be honest, it's like that's not, that's not who we are. That's not what our faith teaches. And uh, so, yeah, we never give up. I think your story will give hope to a lot of people who are struggling with their relationships, whether they're in a situation like we are or in what I refer to as a normal relationship. I think sometimes people just don't know how good they have it. Now, in terms of care, Arlene, were you the only person giving care to David or were you hiring help from the outside? Uh, like I said, we have a large extended family here at the ranch, so we get help that way. But really, it's the guys in our church that that help out, I know I can call on. And then now our, our kids are married and grown now, and so um, we try not to be, uh, uh, you know, dependent on them or, or you know, impose on them, but um, <clears throat> we do. <laughs> and they jump in and help when we're together. They, they help load David's chair, and our girls can lift their dad in and out of campers. <laughs> they like to camp, and our girls are, Amazons. Well, they're not Amazons, but they work out. They're they're into this, you know, buff. We're strong, uh, and they are strong. They are. <laughs> and then, of course, our son. And so, um, uh, 
but that, that's a real balancing act um, because sometimes I try to hire things done and that's hard now. And, and a lot of our uh, friends at church are as old as us or older and so you won't, don't want to ask them to get on that ladder to, to fix the, the light outside that isn't working. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of a balancing act. You don't want to be dependent, but you kind of are. Unfortunately, we're in this position not by choice. And David, you sound like the type of person who's fiercely independent. Absolutely. Wouldn't give it a second thought. Yeah. Well, and I often tell him he should have married someone bigger because I'm not much help when he's on the ground. Who gets the call when that happens? Is it the fire department? It happened once in, yeah. in, in, uh, in Arizona. Arizona. We went down. Arlene's mom was living in Arizona. We went down to visit her. And I felt, uh, well, the workaround, moms didn't, she didn't have a rolling shower. So we would roll David out in the garage in a swimsuit and she'd hook up the hose to her, her laundry sink and he'd shower in the garage. Only this one time he rolled backwards and tipped over and I couldn't get him back up. And I knew mom that down in Arizona, they have lift and assist. So we called. She's older than Arlene. So there was <laughs> yeah. no help at all. Yeah. So we, so we called. So these people showed up. <laughs> well, these six firemen come and they get David righted. And I took a picture of him. And then they said, well, now, how are you going to make sure this doesn't happen again? And David says, I'm going to go home to Montana. <laughs> That's a great story. Don't give my wife any ideas about the outdoor shower, though. I'm, I'm the idea person. I, can, I always figure we can figure out something that will work, and that's what worked. It's been quite a few years since David's injury. Arlene, how much are you able to help out these days? Uh, you know, our life is pretty much the same. David is pretty stable in his condition. Um, I, She's we, the brains and the memory. <laughs> I have lost my a lot of short-term memory stuff, and she'll remember it, and she's the brains uh, of... But David's in charge of never worrying. He just doesn't worry, I'm, and that's really helpful to me. It sounds like you're flying the plane and David is your co-pilot. Yes, yeah, exactly. often, often that is the case. Post-diagnosis, what would you say are some of your fondest memories? Well, probably we really enjoy getting our three kids and their spouses and five grandkids together. Um, we really enjoy going to the grandkids' sports events. Um, Camping. We've gone camping with our kids. I've tried to do a camper, but I'm, that ship has sailed. I, I can't do that. <laughs> so we tag along and, and they haul their dad into a camper so we can sleep inside and don't have to sleep in a tent. We, we also went on a cruise with our kids, mm -hmm. uh, February 2019 or 20. Well, it was, it was right before COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And we went on a cruise, and that was really a highlight. We yeah. took the kids and grandkids, and that, that forever will be a, a fond, fond memory for all of us. And the kids liked it, too. Yeah. Pretty much, except... Yeah. except Our granddaughter. Yeah. <laughs> but, but she liked it. She did. And how many grandchildren do you have? Five. Five. 
It sounds like you really enjoy being grandparents. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're a blast. Yeah. They make life worth living now. Yeah. You've been through one challenge after another, a great amount of adversity. What advice do you have for those who are struggling with their relationships? Well, I think you have to make sure that you don't make it about yourself. If you start feeling sorry for yourself and you realize what you've lost, that just is not a good thing. And you need to recognize that, uh, that caring about others and where they have, uh, where they've been robbed of stuff is more important than you. And you, you try to encourage them and help them along. Well, I think, too, a lot of times um, when David and I are struggling, you know, like if, if our relationship is rocky, we have to remind ourselves that a lot has been taken from us, but we, we can choose to enjoy life together because we, we don't have to worry very much about finances. Um, we have a wonderful uh, wheelchair-accessible home that is makes life easy for us. And so we have to decide to work harder at our relationship, which is where it, it behooves us to seek out counsel. Go to church. Absolutely go to church. Um, I can't expect David to fulfill all that I need. So I have friendships. I have... Um, I have uh, people that I can call on. And in, there, there are a lot of times we're fighting on the way to church. We get mm-hmm. to church, spend time at church, and get out in the car and ask each other's forgiveness. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then for a lot of people with paraplegia, at least, the physical factor has to be retrofit or redesigned because of the, the effects of paralysis. And so many people think, how could I live without that? Well, you can live without it. Uh, it's not... It's not what you had hoped, but, well, what's the alternative, you know? Um, I'm not going to take my love to town. <laughs> I'm sticking it out here. So that's, that's how we, that's really, getting the help is really essential. And if, if you're not willing to seek out help, you'll probably be miserable and unlikely to, to enjoy life. One of the best things we've done is... Arlene's mother lost her second husband, and we invited her. She's, and we invited her to move up here, and we've enjoyed her thoroughly. She lived with us for a, a few months, and then she moved into a home in town. She's now 90, almost 92, and we have very much enjoyed her. Yeah. She's, she's a cheerleader for yeah. us because she knows what our life is like. She's been there from the very beginning. I wish I had her on the call as well. I, I say she has terminal happiness. <laughs> that she does. But my dad had de- uh, he had MS for 22 years, and was bedridden the last three years. So uh, she was his caregiver, and uh, I'm certain I I am a caregiver. Uh, just by that's just the way I was made, and we're thankful that we're it's not David taking care of me. And, for sure. <laughs> Because uh, that'd be a wreck. David's a great patient. He's really good at being a patient, and I'm really good at being a nurse. Arlene, have you always been this positive? <laughs> uh, kind of. Mostly, 
mostly, but it's a choice. It really is a choice. Or, and I think really God honors me in that because I've, I knew a long time ago I could be pitiful or I could be powerful. And um, I don't have a superwoman's cape, and sometimes I have to uh, be transparent with my friends that, you know, I'm not doing so great. Um, but I've just chosen, I'm not going to, I'm not going to die of self-pity. <laughs> Our youngest daughter is an RN, and I think she became an RN because of my situation. And, yes. And so we bounce things off her a lot, too. She's a, a, a resource for us that's very welcome. She's probably been a remarkable resource for you. She's pretty good at it, yeah. And how old is she? She's 39. She's going to be 40 your next birthday in June. Our kids are 43, 42, and 39. And our middle child, our son, uh, is a microbrewer here and has a, uh, a microbrewery called Copper Furrow. So sometimes we go and share a beer with him. <laughs> it sounds like there are worse things to do in life with your son. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And is that brewery right in Helena as well? Yes. Yes, all our kids live within 25 minutes of us. Well, if I or any of my friends are ever in Helena, I will point them in the direction of the microbrew. Copper Furrow is the name. If things get heated in the relationship, what's the one thing you do to make sure that things don't boil over? We don't have the same response. My response, if she would let it be, is to just lay it down and let it cool off, come back and talk about it some other time, maybe another day. But her response is, fix this now or I'm going to slap your butt. And that, that doesn't work well with me. So, so we, we have to do some of both. Um, I, I like to say that sometimes I take a five-minute vacation, which means I just go somewhere for 5, 10, 15, maybe 5 hours. But I'm, I'm more inclined to think yeah. it should be a day or so. Yeah, David. If it's really a heated yeah. discussion. Arlene, yours is a quick time out, while David, yours is a rain delay until the next day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I'm that way. And then by the next day, I can be the sweetest guy you ever met. But for the day, it <laughs> takes me. I'm still a little bit steamed, and I can, get, I can crank up the heat right away, so... Well, and the MS um, has affected his emotions and his ability to really stay level. So it, it's, it's really incumbent upon me to, to cut him some slack, you know, to give him some time. Hi, this is Veronica, the executive producer through Thick and Thin. Welcome to another episode. During this segment, you will hear feedback from our listeners, and we will recognize the associate producers who helped create the show along with those who donate to keep the show going. You will never hear a commercial during this podcast. Instead, we operate on the value for value model. What does this mean? If you find value in this podcast, please contribute your time to help produce episodes, your talent by contributing artwork, or your treasures by donating. All donations go to creating an ecosystem to help people with disabilities. At the moment, we do not have feedback or donations. However, we would like to recognize Angie for the beautiful artwork she contributed to this podcast. 
If this podcast has helped with your relationship or you would like to make a donation, please let us know by sending an email to joe at avira.com. That's J-O-E at A-V-E-E-R-A dot com. Thank you, Veronica. And now back to the show with David and Arlene. David, tell me about the clinical trial you were involved with. Um, it, it, it's the drug is called Nudexta, and uh, we were taking it. David was taking it. Oh, I was taking <laughs> we it. always no. say we. Oh wow, well, uh, no, I was taking it. Maybe I should have taken oh, it. No, maybe you should have. Maybe it'd been better if you. Would have. Hey, maybe that's. Hey, well, work. anyway, it addresses something that's called pseudobulbar effect, which is common in people with brain injury. It could be from stroke or cerebral palsy or MS or ALS or you know Parkinson's. Anything that involves the brain, it causes the. Um, like you laugh when you mean to cry, or you cry when you mean to laugh, and um, you don't have the control. And so the drug Nudexta actually addresses that and um, really helps people that uh, feel like they've, you know, are um, experiencing inappropriate emotions. Were there concerns about the clinical trial, or did you jump right in? We just jumped into it. It was fairly innocuous in that it was dextromethorphan, which is cough syrup, and quinidine. So it doesn't cure the condition, it manages it. Are you still on the drug today? No. Actually, you know, I don't really deal with any of those things he, right yeah. now. He's, he, we actually, it got very expensive, and um, our insurance wasn't paying very well on it, so we decided, well, let's... Let's, Let's try, try it without, without it. it, and we've done okay. Uh, I, I still see it once in a while in David, um, and we might revisit it at I, some point. I would point. like to sometimes take it, yeah. but it, it, not for the cost they were charging for yeah. it. Unfortunately. Yeah. And so you had to stop taking it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If insurance would have covered it, then I'd have been probably, probably fine. Still be on it, probably yeah. on it, yeah. Just the copay was very high. Understandable, but you're able to manage the symptoms now? Yes. Yeah. David is on, we've tried a lot. David has had some drugs. Um, he's currently on duloxetine, and, but he's been on Wellbutrin. Uh, 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 what was the first one that came out? <laughs> um, the very first antidepressant drug, Prozac. Because at one point I said, either you're going on Prozac or I am. <laughs> and so we started. And we've tried different, uh, different concoctions of you know, combinations. And right now Dave is just on the uh, duloxetine. You were going through a lot physically and emotionally. Yet it sounds like the glass is always half full to you. And you remain positive. <laughs> well, not always. But mostly. But I'm such a wonderful, handsome guy that I can't imagine she would ever turn her back on me, not after 46 years of wedded bliss with me. And that's an exaggeration. Oh, but, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> 46 years. Congratulations. When is your anniversary? The 14th of uh, June. Wonderful. Did you have a special celebration this year? 
No, we're not much into that. I, we, I don't know what we did. I don't think I'm we more into celebrations, and and I'm more sentimental. She is not sentimental at all, no. and I'm very sentimental. Yeah, and I love. I think like we that. went to town and got a pizza and brought it home yeah, and I, ate it. That's what we did. That's what we did. <laughs> we're pretty tight, you know. It, it's not exciting for us to go out and spend drop a hundred, two hundred dollars for a dinner. It just doesn't thrill us. We have buyer's remorse as soon as we look at the menu. And being together is where you find your happiness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just said having the little kid, the little grandkids around, yeah. they just yeah give us a lot, lots yeah. of joy. It sounds like you can find joy and satisfaction in the little things in life. And if you knew then what you know now, is there anything that you would have changed? Yeah. yeah. I don't think there really is anything that... You know, we don't regret, we, we didn't finish college. We came home and um, uh, we're partners on the ranch, so we don't have regrets there. Um, we have very few regrets with our kids because we, we really poured ourselves into them. Um, I don't know. I always want to travel, but David doesn't. So travel is challenging now. <laughs> I have to really want to go if we're going to travel because it's a lot of work for me. But since David was in the chair, we did go to Salt Lake City, uh, Washington, D.C., in New, New York, York City, City. Um, with, uh, for that drug study because we were spokespersons for the, the company. And which was your favorite? Well, I have to say Washington, D.C., because I grew up, I lived in Maryland till I was 10, so I knew all the sites, and that was really that was a treat to me. I had all, David likes history, and I always felt like he would enjoy that. So, But we didn't get to go to the History Museum. No, we, they were, we weren't there long enough, but um, somebody else was paying the tabs, so we... I enjoyed New York a lot, too. Yeah. We went to a Broadway play. And, Two Broadway yeah, plays, yeah. And, 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 you know, the Statue of Liberty is way smaller than I thought yeah, it would be. It was a disappointment. Yeah. They do make it look big in the helicopters and flyovers. <laughs> yeah. David and Arlene, thank you for joining us on the Through Thick and Thin show. Is there anything else you would like to say related to keeping your marriage together after an injury or a diagnosis? Well, I've, I've already said it, although I don't always follow it. it you need, as a, as a marriage... It's you, you marry for the other person, and if you follow that rule in your life, I think you'll get through it a lot better than if you if you start focusing in on you all the time. Mm -hmm. You're going to have issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think just making decisions that you're you know you're deciding you're going to make this work because. Uh, we're, we're all human, and we can all decide to feel sorry for ourselves and, and, and walk away. But I really think God honors it and has honored it in our relationship. To be honest, without my faith and without our church, I don't think, I don't think we would have made those choices. I think we have um, a, a large support system behind us that helps us and is rooting for us and available for us, and I, I know for me that has been essential. A lot of people, um, 
a lot of people walk away or they don't know how to handle your life. And the people that we know from church um, press in. They're, they're, they're our friends. They're the friends that, that sticks. And I think that's another real important. Thank you, David and Arlene from Helena, Montana. We are forever grateful. As Veronica mentioned, we operate on the value for value principle. If you have time or talent, we could use the help. If you have neither and would like to donate, this will go to helping those with disabilities as we build this ecosystem. Big thank you to Angie Square from Houston, Texas for providing the artwork for today's episode and to the folks over at Purple Planet for providing the music for this. If you find value in this podcast, please share with friends and be sure to hit the subscribe button for future episodes.